welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and open them to Luke chapter 15 and verse 25. And we are going to close this series that we've called Relentless this morning and just spend a few moments preparing for the Lord's Supper. And I want to encourage you today, if you're a follower of Christ, to join us in the Lord's Supper this morning. And really, we're using this series not only to make sure that we didn't miss Christmas and that we've remembered that Christ was the center of Christmas, but also to prepare for spiritual growth in this coming year. I pray, my prayer for you is that you would say, I want to grow spiritually in 2020. You know, if somebody asked the the people that are closest to you, has so-and-so, has he or she grown or changed any? In terms of their relationship with God, has God done any work in their life, say, in the last five years? If people that were closest to you, the people that know you day in and day out, if somebody said, have you seen God at work in their life in, the, say, the last five years, what, what would people say? Would the answer be yes or would the answer be no? Not really. I, I, I don't think I've seen a whole lot of change in them in the last five years in terms of their spiritual life. You know, if a doctor told you that you need to change your lifestyle because it was unhealthy, most of us would say, I'm going to make a commitment to do that. And a lot of people at this time of year are are doing that with their own health. They're saying, you know, my resolution next year is to get healthy. And there really is no difference in our spiritual life. And it really begins with the decision to change. So I want to I'm praying for you and I'm praying for our church that we begin today with just saying, I want to change and grow, and really that should be a year-by-year decision that we want to change and be transformed into the image of Christ so that when people look at our lives, they see Jesus. And we're not there yet, and we we really will never arrive at that point in this life, but we should never stop trying. Uh, And and really it begins with the desire, and then it follows up with just a realization that we've got to have a humble spirit that says, I'm not, I'm not as Christ-like as I want to be. And then it really moves on from there to centering our lives around applying the principles of Scripture. And that's what I want to encourage us to, to have a heart for, is looking into the Scriptures and saying, I'm going to live out the biblical worldview that God has already given us in His Word. So this morning, what I want to do is, is wrap up our sermon series. And we spent a lot of time in in this so-called prodigal son parable, but we're going to wrap that up with some final thoughts this morning. And I want to give you what I'm calling three life-changing truths, because I really think if you'll meditate on these, if you'll think deeply about these and really be challenged by what God is saying to us, then I think that they will change your life. And so let me remind us today um, of these three life-changing truths before we take the Lord's Supper. And I want to read our text this morning beginning at verse 25 of uh, Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 25, the Lord was teaching. And it says these words. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he, that is the older son, said to Excuse me, the servant said to the older son, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. 
But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This wraps up the teaching of the Lord Jesus at Luke 15, which is really the culmination of three different stories about who God is and what God is like. And so if you've been with us, we've just systematically gone through these three parables that the Lord taught and what Jesus was doing is teaching people that were willing to listen to him and in that setting the people that were listening to him were the sinners and the worst people that in terms of their morality that we can think of in the cultures and Jesus had been eating with them and if you go back to the beginning of the chapter what we already have covered in previous sermons was that when Jesus ate with the worst people in society, it outraged the Pharisees and scribes who were supposed to be the most knowledgeable and the closest to who God is and what God is like. And so the Lord is with these people, and the main reason he was with them was they were listening to him, and the reason they were listening to Christ was because sinners realized that Jesus loved them. And so I just want to encourage us as a church to realize if we don't love lost people, they're not going to listen to us. And so let's make a pledge and a resolution in our own lives to begin with that we're going to have a heart to love lost people like Christ did. And because the lost were drawn to Christ, they listened to him and these the religious people had closed ears. And so what Jesus did was he told them the story. He told the story to the religious people as a way to try to open their ears and to try to open their heart to the grace that God himself was offering to them. And so the story is really an offer of salvation to people that thought they were good enough to get into heaven on their own. And so although we tend as a church to focus on the prodigal son as really the center of the story, the story is not just about the younger son. The story is about comparing and contrasting the younger son and the older son and seeing that we ourselves at times have the same attitudes that both of them have. We really are being challenged by the Lord to look at our lives and and to ask the Holy Spirit to look at our hearts and say, where am I like and when am I like either the younger son or the older son and then have a desire to repent from that. In other words, we are all in the story as both the younger son and the older son. And that was what Jesus was telling the people that were there. And he was trying to say that God is the father in the story. The father in the story represents God as father. The younger son is representing or represents the sinners. And they are the ones that are seeking to find ultimate meaning in life by the pleasures that sin offers. What we would call worldly behavior. Violations of codes that are in the scriptures. The older son is... Uh, portraying the the heart of the Pharisees. And we would say that's the people in our society today that if you talk to them, they'll say, I'm good enough on my own to get into heaven. So both the younger son and the older son are seeking to save themselves. And that's basically doesn't just mean salvation in terms of dying and go to heaven. It means just finding meaning in life. You know, living out their lives in a way that they're doing what they think is going to find ultimate purpose in life. And so 
as we know in the story of the prodigal son, what happens is the younger son asks the father, I want to get all of the money that I'm supposed to get, all the, the, the inheritance that I should get when you die. And this, as we learned, was very disrespectful. It was a statement like we would be saying to our fathers today, I want what is coming to me when you die, so I really wish you were dead already, and I certainly don't want a relationship with you. And so that's essentially what the younger son had previously told his dad in the beginning of the story. And the father, in amazing grace, offers a chance to keep that relationship going. He actually gives the inheritance out, putting all of his estate into the names of his younger son and his older son, and that meant putting all the land into their names, which the younger son then quickly sold his portion for cash. He departed the estate, the family, land, the house of the father, and he got as far away from his father as he possibly could into a distant country, the Bible says, and he lived a wild or reckless life, and he spent everything he had. He was meaning the the prodigal means he spent everything until it was all gone. And then he found himself in a land of great famine. The Bible says that he sold himself out to a local pig farmer as a slave, which for a Jew is the ultimate demeaning life. And he found himself slopping pigs in a pigsty, starving to death, and his master wouldn't let him even eat the pig slop. And it was at that point of life we found that he finally saw that he needed to come to his senses. And he had a plan, and his plan was to work out his salvation by coming back to the Father and just being able to be around the household, knowing he would never be reinstated into the household and asking for just the ability to survive near the home as a worker for his father. And so he decided to come back in survival mode. And the Bible says that his father was looking for him. And when he was a long way off, he saw him. And in compassion, he ran to the son, embraced him, kissed him, fell on him, and called for the family to expend a new robe, new, a, a new ring, and new sandals, making a statement that the father was forgiving his son and reinstating him into the household. That's why we called it a beautiful story, because it's a story that says that God is a God today who will restore anyone no matter how far away they are from their father. And that no one can sin their way to a point where they're unsavable. That no one is too bad to be saved. And that's, and that's a beautiful story and it's true. And we pick up with the older son in our text at this point that I read. The older son is, is contrasted because he's working in the fields and Jesus starts out right off the bat saying this older son is working to please his dad because he is uh, near the father, but it's, it's all about following the rules. And what we see in, in this uh, story then is the son became, becomes ex- very, very angry, and he is unwilling to even talk with his father at this point. He's so displeased. And as we learned last week, the reason is, is he was the one that owned. It was his fattened calf. It was his robe. It was his ring. It was, it was his sandals. It was the resources that he had inherited that were being expended in order to reinstate the younger son. And he did not consent to that. He was not willing to spend his own resources. And so at this point, his heart comes out. The truth comes out. 
of what's really in his heart at this breaking point, and he shames his father in the very same way that the younger son had shamed his father. He calls um, his father's actions into question in front of the entire community, which really showed the fact that he was really at his heart of hearts simply doing all the things that he was doing in order to earn the right to control the resources. He had never really loved his father. He had never really cared about a relationship with his father. He was earning the estate, and he was trying to put his father under his own authority and oblige his father to do what he wanted. And that was the essential way that the Pharisees were living out their lives. And so the the beautiful picture of this is the relentless pursuit of the father was the same to the older son as it was to the younger son. The father says, son, I want you to come into the household. He comes out and he pleads with him, the Bible says, and he he tells the he tells the uh, older son, you're my you're my little child. It's a a beautiful it's a beautiful way to, to show that the Pharisees were being offered the very same grace that Jesus was extending to the tax collectors and sinners. And there's no resolution. There's no Disney ending. There's no happily ever after. Jesus just ended the story at that point. And it's in the story ends, the movie, so to speak, ends with the good person outside the household, the quote, good person. And the quote, bad person, the the younger son is in the home. And we ask the question, why did Jesus end it that way? Why did he not have a resolution? And the answer is because Jesus wants us to decide what we're going to do. We're going to, he wants us to decide what we're going to do with the gospel. And Jesus is also telling us that at times, and we've really tried to make this clear, all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have the attitudes of the older son, and we also have the same attitudes as the younger sons. It may be for a few hours, it may be a day or two, but it might be for a season of life or years even. But at some point in your life, you said, I don't really want to have an obligation to follow your rules, God. I'll just do it my way. I'll do it how I want to do it, when I want to do it. That's the nature of sin. When we violate God's commands, that's essentially what we're saying. But we also at times have that same attitude that the older son is, which is, I'll do it, but I'm not I'm doing it because I love you, but I'm doing it because I want to be able to, to earn the right to get things from you. And so the, the teaching here is that there's actually two ways that we can dishonor the Father. There's actually two ways that we can sin, and we can find ourselves alienated from God, whether we're doing... Bad things, or we're actually doing good things, but doing good things for the wrong reasons. And so we need to understand what Jesus is saying as it applies to really our lifestyles in 2020. And so this is something that is important for us to embrace, even as Christians. And so it's a call not just for somebody to come to Christ for salvation, that first time where you give your life to Christ. And if that's you today, you can do that at the close of our service, and I would urge you to do that and plead with you to do that, but it's also a call for Christians today to, to look at our own attitudes, to change and to say, I need to realize that at times I'm like the younger son, and at times I'm like the older son, and I need to repent from that. And you need to do that before you take the Lord's Supper today. 
And you need to open yourself up to introspection from the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to show you in your own heart where at times you try to to do things that essentially are saving. You're trying to find purpose and meaning in life by doing it your own way. And what God's will is, is our God's will is for our life is for us to fall in love with him and to want to do it his way because we see who he is and what he's like. So the first of three life-changing truths this morning on your handout, number one is this. We must admit and confess, even as Christians, for our total need for a Savior. Even if we're a younger son or an older son, daily, we need to realize, even as Christians, we got to ask the question, what am I depending upon for my purpose in life and for my what I would call our practical salvation? So what Jesus is really teaching here is that the Father loves us, He wants a relationship with us, and that He's offering us unconditional love that's not performance-based love. And that, and living in that house, living in that state of peace, ought to so, and caused us to be so moved and melted by that. By seeing that God is ultimately our Savior and that we can't save ourselves, nor should we want to, that message moves and melts our hearts and changes us and transforms us so that our motivations are not like the older son and our motivations are not like the younger son. That's why we've been saying the gospel is fundamentally different. Everything about Christianity, this true Christianity, is altogether different from every other world religion. The answer to the question, what makes Christianity right and all other world religions wrong, is it's altogether different. It's a completely different way to have a relationship with God. Every other world religion, including what I would call Americanism, where people just think being an American saves them by good works, that same philosophy or theology is basically saying we're going to work our way to God and earn, earn heaven. And what God is teaching us here is that home is something that only we can receive by the love of the Father. And that we need a Savior that's outside of ourselves. And this context, you have to remember, is set within the context of not only this story, but the other two stories. In this same chapter, and it starts with the parable of the lost sheep, where we covered how Jesus said the good shepherd would leave the 99 and go out and be with, uh, who would go out and search passionately and relentlessly for that just one lost sheep. And we came to realize that we, Jesus is the good shepherd and we were the lost one sheep. And we saw how Jesus told the story of the lost coin. And the lost coin was this story where this woman stops everything in life and the The priority of her life becomes finding one coin, and it pictures how we are the lost coin, and that God is relentlessly stopping everything to seek and save us as that one lost coin. And so then we get to this story, and we find this younger son is missing, and there's something missing in this story. If you read it a lot of times and you meditate on it, pretty soon you'll come to realize This story was different from the other two because no one goes out and looks for the lost younger son. And it begs the question, and Jesus, the master storytelling, is doing this on purpose. He leads us to a point 
where we come to ask the question of ourselves, who should have gone out and looked for the younger son? And the answer is the older son. Because in that culture, they would have known that it was the older son's responsibility in a family to keep that family intact, especially after the father became older and was not able to, to be able to have physical strength to travel. So in this situation, in this story, it was the older son's responsibility to go out and find the younger son. The older son was responsible for keeping the family intact and for preparing the estate to be passed on to the next generation. And so what this story is telling us is this younger son, this family, needs a true older son who would not just care about himself. And the older son is, in this situation, is saying, I do not consent to the cost of restoring this one into the family, much less the cost that it would have taken to go out and find him. And what he's really saying in in the bottom line is the older son is saying, I really don't care about my younger. No, no, no. Your son of yours, he says, he said, it's not he's not even my brother. So he says the father um, to his father, I don't consent to this son of yours being redeemed back into the family. And so what the story is teaching us is the younger son needs a true older brother. Because here's what a true older brother would have said when the true older brother heard that the younger son was was gone out into a distant country. A true older brother would have said, Father, I share your concern, your love for the family And I share that love in an unconditional sense, not a performance-based love, but grace-based love. And so, God, or Father, I see that the family is now divided, and I want to spend whatever it takes in terms of the resources of the estate to go out and restore the family and to make it whole again. And this brother that's lost is a brother of mine, and I take responsibility for him. That's what a true older brother would have said. And so what Jesus is really teaching us here is we need a true older brother. And I praise God this morning that we have one in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he came into our distant country. That's what the Lord was teaching, that he is the true older brother who was willing to spend all the resources necessary to be a prodigal God who would spend everything in order to redeem us back into the family. And Jesus becomes our true older brother in the story because we began to realize that we needed a Savior and we found one. And although salvation was free to us, it came at an infinite cost to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He bore your sin on the cross, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, in other words, was severed from the Father in a a holy justice process that brought justice to our sins at Calvary, but at the expense of a severing of his own relationship with his own father. He bore our alienation in order that we would be restored as younger sons and older sons. And that brings us to the second truth, which is because of this fact of truth, we should center our lives on the true older brother because because he willingly spent everything he had on us. I mean, it's just simply the fact that God relentlessly pursued us 
that should desire us in 2020 to want to be transformed into his into his image to center our lives on our true older brother and it's not just centering our lives upon him and stopping with that but it's it's our third truth as well this final truth is that we need to be wherever he's at we have to join our lord jesus on his next rescue mission of our prodigal brothers and i'm using the word brothers here in a different way than we normally do and i want to be clear and I love the fact that in this church, and it really it should be this way in my, from a biblical perspective, I love how we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are. So don't get confused. What Jesus is teaching here is, in a sense, every human being that God created in his image needs to be seen as, as a, a, a person that he desires to redeem and to be brought back into his family. In that light, in that sense... We are our brother's keepers. Because what the Lord is really teaching us as we close out our study here is that it's not just about seeing a younger son get saved and redeemed and saying, wow, that's a beautiful picture of how God saves lost people. It's not just about an older son that has attitudes that need to be repented about, but it's also about us realizing that we're followers of Christ. The Bible calls us followers of Christ and the body of Christ. And so this story has an element to it that I think is often missed, and that is that we are to join Christ in his next rescue mission of other brothers in our family. And not just uh, have the attitude, well, that's not my duty, because the older brother is the religious guy that says, no, I'm going to stay here and work out my own salvation, and that's, he's not my responsibility. And he, the older son says, I do not consent to spending the expenditures of this estate to redeem this younger brother back into the family. But the, the Father is telling us, and the Lord Jesus is telling us what God is like. And of course, the Lord is telling us that why he came was to spend all he had. And so that should be our heart as well. And here's the test of whether you're an older brother or an older son of the Father. Because if you really are a false older son, then... You're going to be like this older son in this story and say, I really don't care that much about the lost. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not responsible for them. And so if that's your heart today, today is a day to change that. You want to change and say, Lord, I don't have a heart for lost people. And I need one. Because I see that you do. And I see that I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm not following in ways that I need to be following. And really, I don't even like lost people. And really, I, their sins repel me from them. And what I see is the Lord Jesus was eating with them, and he was loving them. And he was not just talking about Alabama football. He was talking about the gospel to them. He was explaining how they could be restored. It was intentional relationships for, with, for gospel conversations. And that should be our desire, our prayer. It starts with a, a desire. Lord, help me to be more like that because I see that's who Christ is and I want to be more like Christ in 2020. And if you're here today and you're saying, I, I don't even know if I'm a true Christian or not, let's settle that issue once and for all in your heart today because this is a beautiful picture of a peace in life that comes by being in the Father's house. That's what the story 
ends with it ends with an invitation to come home. Whether you're a younger son or you're an older son, come home, come into the house and come into the home where there's unconditional love from a father who loves you and wants you inside his home at peace and in a relationship with him. So let me ask you just to bow with me. I'm just going to let Miss Jan play today and just play something quiet and just reflect for a moment here. Christian, if you're here and you know you're saved, you're about to partake of the Lord's Supper, you respond to whatever God is putting on your heart right now and you prepare for the Lord's Supper by asking the Lord to forgive you of any sins that you have, even if they're like the older son. Even if they're just the older son's sins who are attitudes. But if you're here today and you are lost, you're a younger son who would say, I'm really separated from God and I've never given my life to God. And maybe you even came in here thinking you were good enough to get to heaven. But the Bible teaches us that nobody is good enough. That's why Christ came. He came to die. So today is the day of salvation, and it's a simple prayer. But you mean it from the bottom of your heart. And as you would just extend today a prayer to God there where you're sitting and just say, Dear God, save me from my sins because I am a sinner. I've rebelled against you both as a younger son by breaking the commands of Scripture that you established as right and wrong. And I've rebelled against you as an older son by doing good things, but for sinful reasons. To manipulate you or to earn my salvation. And so, God, I stand before you as a sinner. And I see that I deserve your wrath. But I understand that Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins as a sacrifice. And I receive him right now as my Savior. I promise to follow Him as my Lord. Save me and give me eternal life. And help me today to follow You. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com Have a great day and God bless.